Conversations inside the music, where we discuss the topics you think about when you're chilling with your fuzzy slippers and your onesie. Yeah! Welcome to Conversations Inside the Music with Carol Riddick. What's the deal? Yours truly, the magnificent DJ Jazzy Jeff. Hi, this is Jill Scott, a.k.a. Jilly de Philadelphia. Hey, this is Gerald Beasley. Conversations Inside the Music. With my dear friend, the amazing Carol Riddick. So get ready to join in on the conversation and chill with us on another edition of Conversations Inside the Music with Carol Riddick. With Carol Riddick. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of Conversations Inside the Music. I'm your host, Carol Riddick. Our guest is a former radio show host, musician, educator, curator, and a multifaceted contemporary jazz bassist and recording artist. He's the artistic director and co-founder of his very own bass bootcamp and curator of the world-renowned Unscripted Jazz Series. And he's the president of Jazz Philadelphia and the official musical host of the Berks Jazz Fest. Family, welcome to today's conversation with none other than Mr. Gerald Beasley. Well, hello, Gerald. Hey, Carol. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I feel like I am somebody. Thank you for welcoming me. I do appreciate you. You are awesome. And I'm so excited to be a part of this. This is great. I am so happy that you have agreed to be a guest. So I read in an article that quotes you as having said, your uncle, Ira Tucker, Grover Washington Jr. and Joe Zawinul shaped you personally and professionally. Would would you speak to that and just tell us how and why? Yeah, that's, thank you for asking that wonderful question because those men really poured into my life, starting with my uncle Ira. So Ira Tucker, um, he's no longer with us, but he was a legendary gospel singer. Mm-hmm. And growing up, you know, the Dixie Hummingbirds was always part of the soundtrack, hearing his music. And uh, when my father passed away, Uncle Ira came to me and he said, don't worry, uh, I'll be your dad now. And I didn't know how to take that because uh, my father and I were so close. I was like, this is really weird. I know it was meant to be loving, but I didn't understand it at first. But what he meant was... He was going to supply me with the thing that I needed the most at that period in my life, which was to launch me into a career in music. Because prior to that time, I thought that um, I would be a lawyer. I was was an undergrad at University of Penn, but I was basically very lost because after my father died, I went into like this dark period. It was totally unexpected and was really struggling and emotionally and he said well you know i got you so what he did was he put me to work because uncle ira at that time was not only singing but he was producing records so he called me into the studio again and again and again i played on maybe 10 albums for him and it really gave me the confirmation that i could earn a living as a musician so it really jump-started Um, that part of my life and was very affirming because I had never really thought of music as a real career. I just thought it was something that I loved. 
And then the combination of my father passing and recognizing the power of music as a healing force really helped me. But then understanding it as a vocation in a very direct way, that was super beneficial to me. So that's why Uncle Ira is like just so important to me in my life. Um, yeah, something, right? That, I mean, that's an incredible story. I mean, mm-hmm. a really, really and truly incredible story. And um, as you know, having lost both of my parents, I can certainly relate to just feeling lost, being lost, and just not really having a good understanding of what's to come or what's next or where to go or what to do, you know, I, mm-hmm. I so I definitely, I, I overstand everything yeah. you just said. And that's one of the things you and I, we talk about, we talk about trying to, what it's like as an artist, you're navigating your own world and your own feelings while you have this expectation to pour into other people through the music. And I have to say, you're, you know, if for those of your in your audience that gets a chance to see you perform live, they may have heard you on the recordings, but to see, it's really cathartic. I think for uh, for us sharing the stage with you and for people listening to you to see you kind of channel those deep emotions is never with you. It's never just songs, but it's really healing and it's very cathartic and. You know, I'm just grateful for those experiences to to be with you, walk with you as you're going through those things. And you know, I always say that you know, music doesn't solve everything, but it it helps until the real solution comes. Which in in, in my in my world, it's it's Jesus Christ that I think that music is, and the arts they are just so important in our life. But ultimately, you know, I think uh, you know the thing is to have a God-centered life, and that's the ultimate solution. But sometimes you need something with flesh and bones on it, or something that can speak to you in a way that is very direct and meaningful. And again, music does that. Don't you agree? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. And and um, I thank you for the compliments that you just extended to me. And and that is exactly what. Um, I feel, you know, when interpreting a body of work, it, 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 it's a release for me. It's, it's, it's therapy for me. And I typically feel the energy that's in the room and the, and the spirit that's being shared with me from those who are listening and participating mm-hmm. because everybody is a participant, as you know. And it makes me so full that I can't help but share what I'm feeling. Oh yeah, we've had some times on stage that were just wish I bo- yeah, I wish I could bottle it because when I try to describe it to people, it never does it justice. They just have to see for themselves, really. And I believe that's that's it in a nutshell. It's our our spirit together that's contributing to that moment. Of course, yeah. the one and only is the reason, and that is God, just to share spirit, time, space, and to be in the same space yeah yeah there's no other feeling to me no wonder i've told people when i listen to you play it's it's like for me it's like studying a painting 
<laughs> made by mm. different individuals with different backgrounds because mm. you'll play something and then you'll go somewhere completely different but to look at you and to see you you appear to be walking along the same road as when you started playing the song so that has always <laughs> been fascinating to me you don't look like you've gone in another direction you look like you're in this cave <laughs> interesting see i've never heard that description of my playing before that's fascinating you know it does i do allow music at at its best or those moments when they're at their best i allow it to transport me you know, um, and I think it's one of those things you can't really force, but it feels good when you kind of just let it take you somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're able to express whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, you know, those are, again, those are the kind of experiences you just want to bottle and have everyone share in that. Not just receiving it, but be able to have those moments, too, where you're you're transported from the everyday and mundane, um, thinking about how the arts also create a world that you would like to have and not just the world you have, mm. you know, mm -hmm. which, in, you know, I think it's so important for us to think about the, that these days that we can certainly, the arts can be reflective of the times, but they can also be helpful as we try to recreate a new world. So when you go into performing, you're making a statement about your life, but you're also making an aspirational statement about what you would have mm -hmm. music or painting be or a story. What would you have it be? And I think arts do that in a way that no other, no other idiom does. I agree with that. I, I definitely mm -hmm. agree with that. I would like to go back to the question I asked about the three individuals. You also mentioned um, Grover Washington Jr. I read of an experience of which you spoke when given a CD or a cassette when you guys would be on the road. <laughs> so you said that he would get onto the bus and after having played a full show and having done a meet and greet and you know, he would, he would play the CD or the cassette on the bus he would play mm -hmm. it in its entirety oh, and yeah. you all would listen to it would you share yeah that's a great question because as you just kind of described you kind of painted the picture of you know a band we're on the road with grover washington jr you know it's maybe seven eight people in the band and we will have traveled all day on a tour bus we'll have done sound check a full two-hour show sometimes at least 90 minutes, but often it could be two hours. And then he will have done the meet and greet. And now standing at the backstage door, or maybe even in the venue, someone will have handed him a CD, an, up, an aspiring artist. And see, if it were me and you handed me your CD, <laughs> It probably would go in the stack of CDs that are behind me, <laughs> like where I would eventually get to it. Yes, eventually. Eventually. Eventually, yes. And if I know you, that eventually will be sooner, right? Exactly. If yeah. I don't know you, I don't even know what to do, right? But Grover, he would take that CD you'd hand him, and as you just described it, he would put it in the CD player in the bus on a tour bus, and all of us, dog-tired, would have to listen to this CD. And I was like, 
why are you doing this? You're Grover Washington Jr. Like, what do you think you're going to find in a CD? Like, how are you going to, you know, what is, why do you? And so when I asked him, he said, well, he said, you never know what you're going to hear. And he said, everybody's got something to say. So that showed you his, his um, respect for people and people's artistry on wherever they were in that continuum of growth as an artist, that he, he could find something valuable in somebody who's just getting started. This is as much as he could find in listening to a, a seasoned professional because that was his spirit. It was beyond music where he had just this love of people and a respect for, you know, what people were um, endeavoring to do. And from a practical standpoint, he also was aware that you might hear something in even the most novice performance that could be inspiring. So it was really, yeah. So, and the part about my reaction to it is that I I definitely want to grow in that area. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Grover when it comes to all these things is that I never heard him speak negatively of another musician, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is powerful because so I, don't know powerful. How you, I don't know if how many of your listeners know musicians, <laughs> but we, pray for us. Pray for us, please. Please pray for us, I always say we creatives, we are a different bunch. I tell you, we really are. We are, to know us is definitely (laughs) to love us. (laughs) It's so true. But that man, he was just generous. Now, that's not to say he was, um, he still was very clear on who he was. Mm-hmm. So even though he had this generosity of respecting what other people did and being kind to people, he was also very, very focused and in, in, in one way, in a positive way, very competitive about like being the best and like putting it all out there on the bandstand. And if you're going to sit in with him, you better come with it. Or if like, uh, you know, with it being an, a largely an instrumental group, the Grover Washington band, mm-hmm. if there's like a double bill like Grover Washington and another artist. And let's say, for example, the artist might be, I'm not going to name any names, Absolutely. but let's say it's like a big name R&B artist, like maybe a singer with a lot of hits. And they would, the promoter would tell Grover, um, you know, well, you know, you're going to open for so-and-so. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> no i listen i love it. you know what I mean? yes okay. but when when grover and his band is finished you better really bring it and i don't care who you are mm-hmm. i mean because we open up for some of the biggest names at that time in the business and i would say the only two artists that i saw that had anything coming close to what grover would have as a show would be patty labelle and earth wind and fire Ooh. Everybody else, mm. you would you would really be better off opening up. <laughs> love, love, love that story, and I love it so much because I've always I've always said like you know when uh, when I've been asked by other musicians, you know you you don't mind opening, you know no no you don't because mm-hmm. you're always supposed to bring your A game. You're always supposed to do the best that you possibly yeah. can, and if you do the best that you possibly can in any situation, then you don't. There are no regrets. There are no regrets. Mm. You know, you've enjoyed yourself. You've 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 
done all that you could do in that moment. So no, it's okay. Yeah. Now I can go and enjoy the next person. <laughs> That's true. And I do know that about you because you've been in uh, some really, some big stages and some fantastic um, festivals and places where you're like, okay, Carol Riddick, she's going to be your opening act. But I know, and I've actually heard from people who were at some of those shows. I, I never told you this, but they were like, whew, when Carol got done, <laughs> oh, oh. we basically, <laughs> we basically felt like the show was over. Oh, um, that's a blessing. That's a blessing though. You know, but I don't think of it as a negative in terms of competition. It is a no. question of bringing your A game. And, you know, I think if everybody brings their A game, it only benefits, we it ever benefits everyone. Exactly, exactly. You know, don't dumb it down. Bring it up. I've never understood that conversation, that discussion, and sometimes that argument between artists about opening and closing and all yeah, let me tell you about a different experience I had, though. Wait uh oh, a uh oh. So, uh -oh. I'm, pl I'm playing in South Africa. So, I'm on this big festival. I'm the only artist that's from the United States. All the rest are South African artists, but they're well known. One is Sipo Gumede, who was a wonderful uh, bass player who had a lot of hits. And the closing act was Hugh Masakela of course is iconic so i had a, a south african band and we had rehearsed and everything i'm backstage i'm excited and i could hear i could hear the um the mc warming up the crowd are you ready to hear sipo gumede you want to hear some you masakana yeah <laughs> who's ready for gerald weasley cricket no <laughs> <laughs> No. Like, uh, okay, yeah, okay. So all throughout the day, I'm back there waiting for my time. And meanwhile, the um, the piano player, wonderful, I can't remember his name, piano player, he got stuck in traffic or something happened and he didn't arrive on time. When By the time, and she's warming everybody up, getting ready for Gerald Weasley. And now it's time to go on. And I don't have a piano player. It's just going to be bass, drums, and saxophone. So I'm like, well, you know what? We're just going to go on. We're just yep. going to do it. Yep. But Hugh Masakela comes to my dressing room. He says, oh, my brother, we cannot let this happen to you. He said, I will go on in your place. <gasps> so he switched the order so that when, instead of me playing, he took his band on and played in my slot. Wow. I thought that was just so um, wow. that was generous. generous. So now envision a soccer stadium. And I, so I'm, his show was starting, right? And normally if there's another artist, I usually don't listen to other people's sets because I like to, I don't know if you're that way too. No, I, I can't. You, I, yeah, I have just to focus, have right? Yeah. So I said, well, let me go and see what bro Hugh is doing. Let me hear the great Hugh Masakela and just see, get some of the vibe and see what the venue looks like now that it's full of people. And I don't know how many thousands of people out there. Without exaggeration, it had to be like 20,000 people. And I go out on the side and I'm looking. Way off in the distance is Hugh Masakela. And then every time he would start a song, 
was within the first five seconds, the crowd would erupt. It could be just like a little guitar line. Ding, dee, dee, dee. Everybody knew every single song and they were singing along with all the music. And I was like, now I got to follow that. <laughs> like the most famous musician to come out of South Africa. <laughs> Everybody knows not just the songs, but the intros to the songs. <laughs> I said, man, this was a setup. <laughs> so, you know, he finishes his show and it's, you know, that now he's like, are you ready to hear Gerald Beasley? <laughs> I'm thinking, man, am I ready to hear Gerald Beasley? <laughs> so, so, so I, get, I get out on stage. And now, meanwhile, remember what I just said, that people were singing along with you, Masekela's music, like all of it. And I'm like, these people, they don't know me. They're not even going to know my music. But we start playing. Um, first song was a song from my first album called Fly Spy. It was a nice, it had a nice groove. And people, you know, I could see them start to warm up to it, even though they didn't know it. And they were kind of moving along with it. It felt good. Then the second song I did, Country Preacher, which is, you mentioned Joe Zavano, was Joe Zavano's song. And like midway through it, playing the melody, I hear people singing along with the melody. Oh, wow. And then the next song, people, once they figured out the melody, I'm talking about thousands of people just started singing along. And I was like, this is different than what I expected. And then I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't so much me, is that the people were ready to receive that day, right? Wow. wow. And so my real job was just not to get in the way. And then I realized, someone had told me later, that the name of that town was called Mamelodi, Mamelodi, and that was the name of the festival, Mamelodi, which means Mother Melody. Oh, Wow. Talk about design so, orchestration. I know. So these people already primed for whatever I had to bring. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was just a lesson in, uh, again, on what we're talking about. It's, this, it's bigger than just your own connection with the music or your ego or what you want to achieve. It's bigger than that. People need it and often they're ready to receive it. You know, we just have to get out of the way. You and I have had that conversation so many times because we've had that, ex, you know, an, an experience um, that confirms it over and over again, mm -hmm. you know, about getting out of the way and how um, it's not about us to begin with, that, you know, we are merely the vessels, you know, yeah. we, we, we've been, we have been graciously given gifts to share but as long mm -hmm. as we get out of the way and we let our gifts do exactly what they do, mm -hmm. you know, God has his way and he's always going to have his way, but he, he has his way. Answer. Yes. And we, we get lucky, you know, we're blessed because we're the recipients of it as well, which is, you know, why I always say to you, you know, when we work together, I mean, it, I just always, I'm so full, so full because we, mm. you know, we both have that same understanding and, and, and you have always, you've done an incredible job of choosing other musicians who are like-minded and of shared spirit. So, 
it's an even bigger experience for me um, because, you know, sometimes there is mixed spirit in, in, in some circles. Yeah, and, that's so true. Yeah. But, you know, with you, I always wanted to work with you. Always. I just, I didn't know what it would look like in terms of an actual project that would be um, worthy of everything that you have to offer. But I always, um, I had this idea of like, that's that we're kindred spirits and i had even long before i ever invited you to do anything i just always knew that was one of my my objectives was to make music with you yeah for a long time um i just felt that that it would be a um, a wonderful combination you know i just knew it now i am not in saying that carol okay (laughs) i have to say now listen tell me how you feel about this That doesn't always work out just because you think that it's going to be a good match with another um, musician or artist, right? Yes. Oh, I have had that. (laughs) Right? It doesn't always work out. It doesn't, and you know, it's so it it is interesting to me because I too have had that, like I that 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 feeling like it's and it's strong when you feel it you're like you know we, we need to work together we you know i just mm-hmm. feel like we would just create some great music together mm-hmm. and then you either meet the individual or you just mm. so happen to share the same space and, and and it's not at all what you thought it would be what um, do you think that is because I, I think about that it's like because I can, that same example, then I can go back to enjoying the person's music, but just know that that is not, that connection is not for me. I agree. I would like to believe that in the space of time um, where we connected, that that spirit that I felt from that individual was not dominant at that mm. time. So I allow myself to accept that that spirit was just not the dominant one in the space and time that we in yeah in the space and time that we connected that makes so much sense to me there was an artist whom uh so roxanne and i I don't know if you know this but we um i don't want to get too deep into it and make it too personal but it we encountered a, a a a personal problem that was really heartbreaking where we lost um, a little baby girl in the eighth month of our pregnancy. And there was a particular song by a particular artist that really spoke to me. I know you've had these songs like Mm -hmm. that you connect with at a certain period of your life. I still do. Right. And people, and you as an artist that we will also have those songs where it's like, it's more than just a song. Mm-hmm. It's like speaking to you mm-hmm. at that moment. It's ministering to you it, yes. in the moment when you need it. And so I happened to be on an event with this artist years later. And I went to her and I said, you don't know how much your song moved me. And I explained what, you know, what my wife and I had gone through. And just, I didn't want anything, but I just felt this need to express it. Man, you would have thought I had three heads. <laughs> she was like security. <laughs> and 
And then wait a minute. So the what's the punchline? <laughs> then so a few years after that, I was on in the same program with her, and she probably didn't connect the dots that I was the same person, and she was just as sweet and gracious as you'd ever, as I thought she would have been before. So for me, like, it's tough to withhold judgment because here's the thing. We're all going through something. We are. Right? And so uh, the way I kind of reconciled it at that time was that, um, and I'm sure you can appreciate this too, that what I wanted from her Mm-hmm. She had already given to me by me hearing the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to give me more personally, face to face, it wasn't. It was never really her responsibility, but she oh. couldn't really. The song, the way I felt, the song was just that was between me and God and the song, mm-hmm. and it came through her and it touched me. Yeah. What more did I want? I'm just so greedy, <laughs> 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 right? No, no. no. <laughs> but you know, and and I think as artists too, that's the other part of it is like as when people say to us, you know, your song meant so much to me, or your music meant so much to me. It's like, what is our responsibility in that moment? Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course sometimes people can take it too far, and you do want to call security. <laughs> so what's your reaction to all of that that I just? <laughs> spilled out onto the table but you know that question of like what is an artist's responsibility if you're giving the work you're putting your heart and soul into the work you know and and this is great because this forum that we're in now is going to speak to fans mm-hmm. and yeah. it's going to speak to artists and, and and creatives but yeah that's an interesting i think it's interesting no i do too but i believe it to be more than just the responsibility of the artist I believe it to be, uh, you know, the responsibility of each individual, the recipient Mm. and the artist. I mean, we are all human beings. And again, you know, I I believe that the recipient has received what they needed because we, as the artist, have gotten out of the way and have allowed our gift, Mm. you know, to do exactly what it does. So... I believe in recognizing that and accepting that we have a responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, as the vessel, um, it's a bigger responsibility in accepting mm-hmm. that we are the vessel, that we should try to be a little more understanding because people are really open and vulnerable in the moments that they share that information with us, mm-hmm. you know, because we all have that experience with some artist or at some period or point in time, you know, so I, I think that we all have a responsibility to one another just as human beings. And, you know, we always talk about demonstrating the God in you and we always say that God is love. So when, when do we demonstrate that? That's a good moment to do so. Mm -hmm. You know, I respect that responsibility and the platform that was given to me. And, And I thank you so much for being open to receive what God had for you. Mm-mm-mm. That's powerful. You do demonstrate that all the time. That that graciousness and yeah, that humility of understanding that is coming through you, and that when the song is over, that if it's still moving people, that it's that it's okay to still be connected 
you know, to still be connected. That's, and that's, that can be a burden sometimes, you know, because um, people will want a lot. Uh, and, and here's the other part of it is that we're living in a world where people are hurting immeasurably. Immeasurably. Right. We so, can always say we are all broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the act of uh, omitting that we ourselves are hurting, we don't, we're not receptive to the next human being hurting as well. Right. That's right. Because we live in a society where it's, especially for men, but of people in general, that it's not really okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to talk about vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to talk about it. It's like, tell me what's in your mind. But do you really want to hear what's on my mind? <laughs> when people ask you, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm all right. When, you know, I can't complain. And then you say, well, I could. And then people say, well, don't, because nobody wants to hear it anyway. <laughs> and they are so right. It's so right. Yes, there's never been a truer statement. But mm-hmm. sometimes you need somebody to just listen to you. Not that you need them to react or respond. Sometimes yeah. you do need to complain. You know, you just, you just need to complain in order to be able to let it go. That feels so right. And, you know, we, we talked about this recently, how we live in, in a time, too, where we can take the masks off, the masks that people wear, especially um, people who are public figures, the masks that you have to wear to present a good image in the social media world. Mm-hmm. And so now the question of how you're doing for the first time that I can remember is a real question. You were talking about everybody having to lift the veil and just be who they are. I stay inside my cave because I don't, I don't want it if it's not real. I don't like it mm, if it's not real. It's mm-hmm. so distasteful to me. Yeah. You know, and I, I just... I just want real. I want to be able to do exactly what we're doing. To just, just talk about life and, and everything in it. And just be and be ourselves. Yeah, just be. You just know, be. There's mm-hmm. a level of comfort in that that is indescribable for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that so strongly. Um, you know, it's interesting, like, <laughs> silver linings keep showing themselves in this time, and then maybe that's that's one of them that we can, you know, lift the veil and not have to be on and not have to be photo ready. Be who you are. I think God is calling us to do so. Mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. he's placed us in the position to hear him, see him, and yes. fully understand, you know, and to, to actually look at ourselves. He yeah. wants us to see ourselves. He is I mean, absolutely. He's saying to us, "You've gotten too far from who mm-hmm. I created you to yes, be." Yes, that's right. The silver lining in it all is that He's making us spend time. Yeah. With our loved one, He's bringing yep. us closer to one another. Yep. You know what I mean? You, you how can you not love that? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, we're finding new ways to connect, and we're also finding time to connect that we didn't, because everybody was on that on the, you know, roller coaster or treadmill or whatever image you want to use, mm-hmm. of, you know, just constantly hustling, rushing from one thing to the next. True. And now it's like he put his he hit the pause button, like okay, nobody's hustling for a while. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so what are you going to do with that time? You know, and even in that, a lot of the earliest moments where people were trying to figure out hustles. Yes, that's a new so hustle. true. So it's still, it's a matter of, just like you said, he's calling us to be quiet. He's calling us to be engaged with one another. Mm-hmm. He's calling us to take time um, to do the things that we had put aside. I had a friend of mine I was talking to recently. And when I say talking, a friend of mine, first of all, is someone that we used to have office in the same building. Mm-hmm. And we would see each other and have these wonderful conversations. Then I hadn't seen her for years. Then I ran into her in the street. We had a wonderful conversation. And then one day out of the blue, it, somebody said, well, call Eileen. It's like, oh, okay, I'll call Eileen. And in speaking with her, we just rediscovered things we had never found out about each other. And then hearing her, what she was going through, she's an interior designer as well as a fine artist. And her interior design business was booming. But then coronavirus happened and she really couldn't visit locations. Right. Right. So it made her pause. But she said, you know what? I, she said, yesterday, for the first time in a long time, I finished reading a book. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? Last night I finished reading a book. And then she said, and I'm starting to read poetry again. So in, an, in one way, what's upsetting, there are many things that are upsetting about what we've been going through. Absolutely. And, and, and not the least of which is that there are lives in jeopardy. Uh, but there's also what's in jeopardy in a lot of ways is just our normal routine, our way of life, the way we are, our rhythm, right? The way we're used to going about things, mm-hmm. the hustle, the grind. This get a good night's sleep so you can hustle and grind all over again. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that rhythm, that song has been interrupted, but it's enabled to way, and I'm kind of vamping on what you said earlier, it's allowing us to get back to the original song. Mm-hmm. Like the other things that you loved that you put aside, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, a, a, I think a lot of people in this moment were saying, well, man, I'm going to learn whatever i'm gonna you know right right i'm, I'm right i'm gonna add addition to my house i'm gonna i've heard you know, that so no i have <laughs> i'm gonna learn to speak portuguese <laughs> i mean and that's awesome but you you can also and i'm not making a recommendation this is for me speaking to me and also go back and reclaim those things that you gave up mm-hmm. so we're thinking largely as a society about what we're losing but there are moments, just moments, where we can think about what we're reclaiming. Right, right. Right? What we have the opportunity to reclaim. Like, you know, now families, like you you were telling me, I hope I'm not speaking out of term, you are talking about your family getting together over yes. Zoom. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Gerald, when I tell you, and, and I shared this story with you, that I have used Zoom for years, but never once did it occur to me to say to my family, look, we should all get together and just have a family video chat. Not one time. I don't even understand how it escaped me, but I was feeling so um, disconnected and detached. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I was, I missed my family. And here's the, here is the funny thing about it. I was missing family members that I did not know. I said, mm-hmm. I, I, I need to know you. I, I, I want mm-hmm. to know who you are. I don't, I don't know all of my family. And I, I just need to love up on you and I need that in return. And 
it was amazing how member how many members of my family called in and mm -hmm. in the first call they said oh we want to do this every week mm. so this this past week we just we started playing games now so this past week we just played family feud and oh wow that's <laughs> awesome because in a way that's how families used to be Families had the opportunity to be together and act together because at one point families lived together. Mm -hmm. You know, not just the nuclear family, but the extended family would live in the same neighborhood or area, if not the same house. And so as we become more disconnected and people got busier and busier, then we would look forward to the family reunion, right? And yes. What you're having now is like you're you're having family reunions every week without the potato salad. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, listen, I don't need any potato salad right now. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I want to skip all over the place, but I want to skip and ask you. We, we did not go into the third person um, that mm -hmm. influenced you. Because my answers are so doggone long. Listen, no, 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 no. <laughs> but no, I want to ask you, I want to go back to that. But right now, I would like to know if there is someone on your radar of whom you feel we should be aware. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. One of the people that comes to mind is a wonderful pianist. His name is Eric Wortham. And Eric is, yes, right? Eric is a phenom. And so listen out for him. He is so, I think he stands right at the intersection of like um, classic musicianship in terms of like, like um, command of his instrument, but with a modern sensibility. I mean, somebody who grew up with a sensibility for jazz and classical music, and hip-hop, and R&B, and pop music. Um, some of your audience may know him from his work with Adele. Mm -hmm. and, and people Jill. like it. Exactly. And Jill Scott. And with but, me. <laughs> and with you. Right. That's right. So I'm preaching to the choir. Exactly. But I think he is someone that, you know, people should really be aware of. Eric Wortham. Two other folks that I'll recommend. Um, who are from this area, who I really adore. They both happen to be ex-students of mine uh, on bass. One is Jonathan Smith, who's a phenomenal, um, very creative composer, producer, fantastic bass player, who has, I think he's going to release his second CD. And another is a young man by the name of Jake Lashinsky, who has a band called Swift Technique. Oh, which yeah, is like, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like a punk band. And uh, I mean, he has been so dedicated to that band for a number of years. And he's like Clark Kent and Superman. If you just run into him in the street, he doesn't wear glasses, but he could. <laughs> but when he gets on stage, he is just unleashed, phenomenal, high energy musician. And they're doing some really interesting work. Their latest single features Lady Alma. Whom I love and adore. Exactly. So, yeah, so look out for Swift Technique, look out for John Smith and Eric Wortham. Those are good. Those are my choices. Ooh, three great choices. And Carol Riddick, <laughs> keep her on your turntable, keep her on your Spotify playlist, keep her everywhere. Just whenever you feel like you need adrenaline or a vitamin, 
just start typing. Go C A, and the rest will populate. And the rest will populate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I have to say, with regard to Eric Wortham, he and I co-wrote along with Adam Blackstone and um, Steve McKee. Mm. Uh, one of my signatures, well, my signature song, A Better mm. Me. Oh, I didn't even know that. But we are, we are actually going to, we're going to release a live of us doing that song. Oh, oh wow. You didn't even pay me for that plug. So I man. did not. I know. Check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's be my new side hustle. Okay, if you're going to interview me, tell me what you want me to plug. <laughs> no, no, I think. No, I think that'll be awesome. It took me a long time to really analyze the song because it really is very interesting harmonically. It's rich vocally and lyrically, and it's just got a great vibe. It's one of those songs that if you're, if you're not really steeped in like the theory of music, it just sounds like a, you know, sounds like a good chord progression. But that song has some depth, man. Gerald, coming from you, that means no, so much. I, I, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about collaboration because people can introduce something that you may not have anticipated into the equation. Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah, those that kind of team. Learn is, something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Is there anything about you that you feel we may not know? Um... It can be yeah. a crazy fun fact. It can be something pretty <laughs> serious again. <laughs> well, so remember I said, you know, getting back to what you did before and now taking the time to reclaim. Yeah. I started working on a na- novel. Uh, really? A couple years ago. And I put it down. But I don't even have a good reason why I put it down. I, I think one of the reasons was it be it became really so complex and not intentionally, Mm -hmm. but all these characters kept introducing themselves to me and all these kind of weaving interwoven plot lines kept introducing themselves. And I was like, you know what, this is crazy. Maybe I'm really, maybe I'm losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) But I started, yeah, I had written that. I've, I've got a good part of it written. I've probably about, I would say close to two two thirds done with it. Mm-hmm. But again, I stopped, but now I'm getting back into it again. And I actually uh, shared a I had never shared it with anyone. And uh, I shared it with a couple of people who I, I had the audacity to mention it to. Okay. Okay. And uh, they really liked, I went, I shared like the first chapter. So it gave me enough encouragement to keep going with it and we'll see where it goes. Um, okay. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. Huh. I can't wait to read it. I love a good read. So I yeah. But I'll put it this way. At the heart of it, it's about identity. Oh. And it's about the sense of who we are versus um, who society tells us we are, tells other people who we are. And it's set, it's what really made me go back and go through it is that it's set in 19, starts in 1917, oh, around wow. the time of the United States entering into World War One, And then it introduces the pandemic of 1918, which is really weird. 
Like I, not that I predicted any of the coronavirus pandemic. It was a little piece of the story because it's a historical novel Mm -hmm. with these different characters who are trying to just sort through who they are in the context of this big, these big historical um, changes happening. Oh, it sounds like what we're going through now. It it really does. I definitely like to read that Nostradamus. If I (laughs) (laughs) isn't that weird though. That may be one of your gifts. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> if you see me sitting on the corner of the table with some tarot cards, <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> you'll know <laughs> that I've taken my gift and turned I'm, it into a hustle. I'm, I'm going to go to that <laughs> You're making my side hurt, Carol. No, oh you. Yeah. That's, oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? I have to say, I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for everything. And and oh, I mean you. that. I mean that to you know, <clears throat> that's inclusive of you sharing your gift and your space and your time and your energy with me. That's for you and Roxanne welcoming me in every mm. way. I don't know that I could ever thank you guys for the contribution that you've made to me. Oh, it's life. mutual. It's so mutual. We're just proud to be your friend and proud to work with you artistically and uh, to kind of share this journey together. Thank you. You're welcome. Please, please, please extend my love to the family. I will. Give Roxanne extra hugs and kisses, though, from me. I will. I'm going to put my mask on right now (laughs) and do that. Yep. (laughs) Terrible. Love you, Carol. Love you more. Thank you, guys. Well, family, that wraps up another edition of Conversations Inside the Music with yours truly, Carol Riddick. Once again, thank you so much for joining the conversations. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. And be sure to check out prior interviews on our YouTube and Facebook pages or any media stream where you typically listen to your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and be notified when new episodes are available. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Conversations Inside the Music and on Twitter at Chat and Chill so you too can join the conversations. See you next time on another edition of Conversations Inside the Music with Carol Riddick. Be good to you and to those around you and remember, to whom much is given, much is required. Conversations Inside the Music with Carol Reed.